0: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? hope you're well. Thank you for being here. As always, thanks for tuning in, for subscribing, for downloading, for listening, for turning off in the first few minutes going, will that cunt ever shut up? No, unfortunately not. I won't. But we've got a good show for you today. We do. I promise. We've got people talking about stuff and things. Now, you can't ask for more than that. When you get a podcast in your ears, what do you want? You want people, you want talking, you want stuff, and you want things. And we've got all of that for you today. As well as that, we've got the winner of the Mesut Ozil book competition. Somebody is going to win a copy of Gunning for Greatness, My Life by Mesut Ozil. Thank you to the person who uh, emailed me during the week. I think it was Gunnar Bear, thank you, uh, who emailed to say, uh, Oh, I like the prize. What's second prize? Two copies of Mesut Ozil's book? Boom! I like it. It was obvious, but it was well done. What can I tell you? But someone's going to win that book a bit later on, so stay tuned for that. So we're going to be... I don't know what we're going to be doing. We did the whole Derby thing, the North London Derby thing, on Monday with James and the Arsecast Extra, of course. Uh, Oh, yeah, that's the thing. I'll give you some details of a live Arsecast Extra coming up in FA Cup Final Week. Stay tuned for that as well during the show, because we're going to be doing a live show in which live people will talk about stuff and things. But of course, it will be happening in the build up to the FA Cup Final. And hopefully we can have one of those podcasts like they used to do the FA Cup coverage on the BBC and ITV back in the day. Um, before football was everywhere on every channel on every TV station the FA Cup final was one of the only live games and it used to be amazing because they would just start the coverage of the game at I don't know nine or ten o'clock in the morning they would be at the team's hotels they'd be interviewing the players they would travel to Wembley on the bus with the players there'd be people talking about the FA Cup and it would just go on and on it was it was magic a whole day of football and then the game of course kicked off at three o'clock and uh, look it, it sort of built memory so hopefully we can do something like that in a podcast style because i suspect by the time we get to the fa cup and the FA Cup final. The Premier League season will, of course, be mercifully, thankfully over. I'm not sure where we're going to finish, but I'm not sure it's going to be anywhere that people are necessarily that content with. We're not going to have any clarity, I don't think, on any of the other issues that are going on. So it could be, you know, a a bit of a shitstorm going on before the Cup final. So hopefully what we'll try and do that evening is create uh, a nice atmosphere in a nice room, talk about the FA Cup, get some FA Cup memories going. Um, I don't know. We'll give the microphone to people we might break James's arm just to make sure that we win the game etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, only a moderate amount of violence but hopefully lots of memory. So, stay tuned for that uh, a little bit later on in the show. I'll tell you how you can get tickets. Um, where are we? What are we doing? We are we are uh, looking ahead to a weekend of course where we play Manchester United. I remember the days when we played Manchester United. It used to be a massive, massive game. It used to be a title decider almost. If you were playing Manchester United at this stage of the season in May, you could be sure that this was a game which really, really meant something. The points were going to be crucial, vital to whoever could get them. And now it's a bit... it's
1: oh good fucking...
0: We're sixth Are we sixth or seventh I should look this up I'm always terrible At doing this kind of thing But you know We're either in sixth or seventh We are I think Five points behind Manchester United As far as I know But we do have A game in hand Here we go The magic of the internet Brings up the Premier League Table for me We are in sixth That's right. Uh, We have a game in hand on Manchester United. They've got 65 points and we have got 60 points. So we could close the gap on them to two points if we win on Sunday. But, you know, quite what team we can put out that's going to win. I'm not 100% sure we might touch on that and what we might do in the game with our first guest in a few moments time, Uh, the man from East Lower. So he'll be along in a few minutes. And a bit later on, I'll be talking about Manchester United and much more with Manchester United fan Musa. So he'll be here a bit later on and we'll have all those other bits and pieces uh, in the podcast for you as well. So what else? Well, you know, it's been a fairly quiet week. Of course, the uh, the club goes into lockdown after a difficult result, uh, difficult performance. And that was certainly what we got in the North London Derby on Sunday. So it's been fairly quiet ever since. And now things are beginning to come to life as we head into the weekend. But I did. I did really admire I admired this piece of content that the official site put out. You know, I know there are pressures. I know they've got to do these kind of things, but, but Wednesday, I think it was five o'clock. There's been not much going on all week. Come on, lads, let's get a let's get a story out. What what can we do, Gabrielle? How I have adapted my game. You're thinking what, what? what? He's talking about uh, being part of a back three. Which you know i i I get you know it's a I suppose it's it's relevant, but you know is is it necessarily timely when his adaptation involved kicking Harry Kane and, and conceding a penalty minutes after we conceded the first goal against spurs on 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 Sunday, you know um there's an element of timing, timing here is you know a thing. it's like the old joke. What's the secret of good timing. comedy? See? That's that's what it is, you know. Um I'm not sure that was the bestest of all of all timing. But one thing I have been doing this week, I have been uh you know, working on some new impressions, some new characters. Those of you who've listened to the podcast for many years will uh will know that that's been part and parcel of it. Sometimes it's difficult, you know, because when results aren't good, when people aren't in a good mood, there's not much to, there's not much to laugh about. You can't, really, you can't really do much. You've got to be a bit careful. You've got to be aware cognizant of how people are feeling. But I think people will be really, really quite impressed by this When I have I've been working on it all week. So this is my impression of Ivan Gazetis. Pretty good, eh? Pretty good. I don't think anybody could have told the difference. And uncannily, it's almost exactly the same as my impression of Stan Kroenke, except his cough is in an American accent. So here's (coughs) Kroenke. I've got to work a little bit more on the Americanness of my cough. You know, I'm not sure that was terribly convincing, but I'm pretty happy with the rest of it, and I hope... uh, I hope you enjoyed that. So look, as I said, we've got a Mesedosel book competition to give you the winner of a little bit later on. I think because of the week that's in it I should do another competition as well. I will give somebody the chance to win one of our fabulous Boilk mugs. Well, you don't win the mug. Well, you do win the mug ultimately. What you do is uh, you'll win a voucher that you can redeem on on a website to claim the mug. It's all very complicated but but at the end of the day you'll you'll get a mug. So we'll give you a chance to win a Boilk mug a bit later on, the Ozil competition later on saw Kwanga a little bit later on but right now time to welcome back to the show the man from East Lower hello there good evening to you how are you feeling about everything at this moment in time are you are you how did you feel in the wake of the derby I have to ask you as somebody who has experienced many derbies in your time and knows the importance of this game and has experienced it um from both sides down the years what, what was your what was your overriding feeling after the game
2: uh, well, I, I didn't really, I watched it on the TV, so I didn't go. I, I never go to, to White Hart Lane, but it's just, um, well, too traumatic. But, um, I watched it on the TV and I sort of gave up with about five minutes to go because I knew nothing was going to happen. I didn't feel particularly one way or the other about it. I, I sort of anticipated it coming to pass that way. And, um, and, you know, I, I think I'd stealed. I think I've steeled myself for quite some months, you know, for, mm. for bad results. And so, and um, yeah, I, you know. I kind of rolled my eyes like, like you do and, and sort of gone on with it, really. I, it didn't really affect me massively because I sort of expected it. Mm, I don't think you're alone there.
0: Quite a number no. of people. I was just interested to see if that tallied with so much of what people have said to me this week. It was like, you know, there should have been... I, I do wonder if people perhaps have just gone beyond the point of, of, of anger. They sort of used up all their anger at this point in the season that they've been so upset about other things that have happened. This felt like almost uh, an inevitability.
2: Yeah, it's of end end of seasonitis, end of bad seasonitis, and you know we haven't had a, an end of season quite like this for a while. Which is, you know, you could look at it two ways. You could say that's extraordinary, or you could just, uh, you know, say that um, it's really, really bad. But um, yeah, it, it's it feels like it, the season could do with ending. Um, apart from the FA Cup final, of course, from a league point of view. Uh, I don't know, fourth seems like an enormously long way off. Yes, it doesn't seem possible to me. I don't think that's... I don't think it's
0: realistic looking at the fixtures that we've got and looking at the fixtures that the other teams have got, but, you know... Because
2: we might have to come third, right? I mean, with 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 United in the Europa League, uh, is that right? I think I, right I'm it? not sure. Like, if they win the Europa League, does that take the fourth-place
0: team out of the Champions League, or does it mean five if English not, teams? If it's not
2: them, yeah, I, I think that would. Really? But, um, right. I might... I might, might be plucking that out of out of thin air, but I, I think there's only four places available. So, you know, d- mm. crunch crunch the numbers.
0: Right. Well, that makes it even more difficult if that is the case. I'm, I'm not 100% sure that it is. Should I just okay. Google that now?
2: What, 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 what happens if,
0: man, you know, maybe you're right. I mean, I don't want to, like, show you up or anything, but... Um,
2: oh, no, look, I'm I, 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 it's a classic kind of thing I heard, and I'm just parroting it now like it's um, an absolute fact. So you, you better crunch the numbers and, and, and get the stats right. Okay, what happens if Manchester United win the Europa
0: League and finish in the top four? This uh, information is coming, I should tell you, from the ever, ever uh, reliable Metro. So if Manchester United win the Europa League but fail to finish in the mm-hmm. top 4 uh, but fail to finish in the top 4 England will then have five representatives in next season's Champions League so there is still hope if Manchester City fall apart if Manchester United fall apart uh, and win the Europa League and if we win against Manchester United win against uh, Southampton win against Stoke, win against Sunderland, and win against Everton. Um, five wins on the trot to finish off our season. It seems like a, a so, tall or so a tall order. Wh-
2: what you're saying, to be, and, and just being nice to me here, is that I could not have talked more shit if I'd tried. Uh, no, I, I actually believe that you could if you had actually tried <laughs> to talk
0: more shit i think you're you're very capable of that i don't want to uh, downplay your abilities in that regard i just think you know it was was it what did they say lazy journalism or whatever yeah, very but, much so but there you go but i mean look it, it, given our current form given that we've only won four of our last 14 games against uh, top-class opposition. I'm, I'm taking out the two non-league wins against Lincoln City and Sutton United. It's six out of 16. To immediately then go and uh, win five on the trot to finish
2: off the season seems very unlikely. Highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're a, very, a team on extremely low confidence hmm. um, and with all the other problems sort of piled on top of it, but confidence is not going to come flooding back in the way that makes us win five. I cannot see it. I mean, you know, I cannot see it.
0: No, me neither. Me neither. Would you have a, an issue with the Europa League next season? Would you be, you know, some people look at it. Obviously, it is the second of the two European competitions. It's the it's the little brother. It's the little annoying brother. The little <laughs> annoying brother who won't go away and maybe has something that you're embarrassed about when you're the big brother in school and he's your little brother. It could be like the it could be like the um, the brother that David Bowie had in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Do you remember that film? I. Um, uh, I don't. Okay, his brother. His brother. (laughs) He was the older brother, and he had a little brother who was a hunchback, and he treated him quite badly as his little brother and then there was some terrible thing happened to the little brother and he didn't help him and he felt guilt about it. It's, it's I'm just saying the Europa League is like your hunchback little brother.
2: Yeah, a bit. I, I'm right. sensing a residual hatred from you because you're going to have to rejig the arse cast. I think that's where it's all boiling no, down I, to. Well,
0: neighbor. there is that, but I'm leaving that aside for one moment. But I mean... <laughs> I, I don't care. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean,
2: in, at the end of the day, it is, it's still a trophy to, to, to fight for and win for. It gets a Champions League place at the other end of it. If you get past the 93 games, then... The, <laughs> that's what you get and um i i i think it you know i no, no problem with it at all i think if we get if we get into it we we give it our absolute best crack Yeah, it's as simple as, simple as that
0: it could it could at least provide some variety to our European football. I know it's Thursday. I know you're playing in far-flung places, perhaps in the in the uh, the group stages. When the competition gets to to the knockout stages, generally speaking, uh, the yeah. clubs are are, are are some of the bigger clubs in Europe. And uh, I think Arsene Finger made the point that all the teams that have won it in recent years have been teams that have gone out from the group stages of the Champions League and gone into the Europa League. So you know you're going to be playing some some decent teams in it. But you know perhaps oh, yeah. the
2: ability to get beyond the round of sixteen in something would be would be good. It would and, and to be and to be honest, I am quite bored of the Champions League. And I know it's easy, you know, you could say ha ha because 'cause you're not gonna get into it, you can you can change your tail now. But I've been saying it for ages. I find it quite dull. I think that the group stages by and large have been Kind to us um, and, and we 've sort of and then, of course, you know, when, when we come up against something vaguely represent, uh, resembling a, a tough challenge, we seem to have struggled so I'm, mm. i 'm a, a bit bored of the sameness of, of of how we of how we do in it, because um, the when the good bit comes we 're not there anymore pretty much, mm. so you know, maybe, maybe you 're right, something a little bit different um, uh, no harm in that so I think the last time we spoke, you admitted on the podcast that
0: you're your interest, not your interest as such, but but certainly your interest in attending had waned somewhat, that it was easier perhaps to put your ticket on the ticket exchange and mm. and not go. Um, I'm assuming, you know, given the way things have gone, that hasn't changed a great deal. But my question is more about next season and, and how you're feeling, given that we're heading towards the end of May, given that we're heading towards season ticket renewal time, uh, yeah. You know, how are you feeling about what, A, what's going on and B, the way the club have been behaving or uh, acting when it comes to this? Uh, like it, the, the situation could not be more serious about uh, who's going to be in charge next season. You know, they, they won't tell mm-hmm. us who's going to be manager or who's not going to be manager. The club have been silent and i 'm um, just wondering is that having an influence on you and what you 're thinking about next season because it certainly has anecdotally and i 've had a lot of email a lot of communication from people who
2: who are are considering um, not renewing well i, res- I respect people I, I can understand it but I, that has not crossed my mind once because it will be mm. from i just i love going i love watching um, i love going with my mates i mean that's but that, that is the kind of the crux of it for me it's it 's a really good routine and it's a routine that I love mm. and I also love when the football's good I love that too and uh, you know you take rough with and you t- you take rough with smooth and sure. at the moment it's a, it's a bit rough I wouldn't on the back of one bad season um, want to cancel it because you know I I love it too much so I, I it's not crossed my mind once I will I will renew mm. 100% and and, and the f- the five guys that sit sit around me we'll do we'll all renew i'm sure of it so um but i totally get why some won't because you know it's sort of been brewing for for quite some time i, I think the way that it's been managed is 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 really weird and, and um mm. really really weird and they, they have to make an announcement at some point um when it will be and what the delay is and and how that will affect tickets is is really you know hard to guess but um though it's 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 the way they've had it, very, very strange, and it can't be helping them. You know, there's all this, like you say, anecdotal talk of people not renewing. There's uh, tickets on general sale. There's this, there's that, and there's. Uh, mm. It's a strange situation, all right. It really is. I mean,
0: is it is it just possible that beyond all the conspiracy theories about not wanting to announce this and not wanting to announce that, that there there is literally nobody with any idea what is going to happen? Um Arsene Wenger hasn't told the board what's going to happen. For example, I'm just throwing out a hypothetical here that the communication between Arsene Wenger and the board is pretty much minimal. Ivan Gazidis doesn't know what's, what's happening. Stan Kroenke, again, doesn't really care what's happening. That
2: the, the delay, such as it is, is because nobody has any idea. Well, I don't think that Stan Kroenke doesn't care what's happening at all for a second. If, if we don't get in the Champions League, we're, we're 40 million worse off, right? No, so so purely, like <laughs> purely from a financial point of view, that there is there is a hit there. So so you know, it's all is not rosy in that respect. I know we need it a bit less, but but there, that is a fact. I I, I find it impossible, how, whatever you think of the people that are running the club, that they won't have pressed him on this to give an answer already for all the reasons that you know you need to be planning. I find that impossible. So I suspect they know what's happening. Um, why they're not saying it is – I mean, I just hope it's yet another chapter in Wenger's book because uh, it, it's, it's really baffling. It's going to be a fucking big book if and when he gets around to writing it. It really will. It really will. And uh, it, it's it, – you know, I don't know what this chapter will be called, but it's, it's certainly um, – Whilst it feels endgamish uh, you wouldn't put it past for a second for it to be just the penultimate chapter. Mm.
0: Yes, eighty-two-year-old Arsene Wenger, having finally uh, retired from Arsenal, chapters this season. My anus Um Maybe that's it, what
2: it is. May, maybe just wants to. Um, uh, I honestly, I don't know. What's what? Could could there be something more into it? It's it's, it's so strange why they haven't said it yet. And, and you know, we were told what was it six weeks ago that we'd know soon. It, it, was, it could even have been longer ago than that, and we know nothing mm, I, again, look, i'm I'm speculating. I'm guessing
0: as much yeah. as you. i you know, I, I just don't find I just can't, you know, try to rationalize it in a hundred different ways. And for each theory con- uh, that I come up with, there's a flaw. Uh, and then the floor takes you down another road and that could be that. And, you know, I just don't know. I just think it's a, a massive clusterfuck that they've completely handled in a dreadful way from start mm-hmm. to finish. Well, we haven't got to the finish yet. Certainly in terms of communication, there has been little or no communication um, to fans. I'm not sure that anybody within the club itself has a real idea of what's happening. Certainly the players don't know. And,
2: you know, again, we're in the dark for for, uh, for various reasons. But look, let's... Um, Perhaps, perhaps Arsene's going to be standing. Maybe, maybe he'll surprise us and, and stand on the on the pitch at Wembley and sing "Abide with Me," and you know that's sort of his hope that we'll abide with him. But I, <laughs> I, I don't. I honestly don't know. Well, me either. Me either. So look,
0: let's <laughs> um, let's look ahead to to the game against Manchester United on on Sunday. The performance at White Hart Lane was poor. I think the team selection was poor. There were a number of issues with the uh the way we played on the day. Uh, given the current form, given the way we're playing and um how we might need an injection of something fresh, would you be averse
2: to seeing quite a number of changes uh, ahead of this particular game? I would not be averse to doing anything that tried that you know and uh, that's made well, I say kickstart it's too late for that now, isn't it really? But s- yeah. something that made it made a bit of a difference. You know, he, he's tried the back three. It kind of worked for a bit. It, it jig, jigged with it a bit too much already and it's not worked again, but I, I would be up for something that changes it around. I think, it, you know, I'd, p- I'd put Rob holding back in, in a flash. Yeah. What, what, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? And, um, and you know, I'd play well back from the start, assuming he's not injured again. What have you got to lose? And in the end, uh, you may as well go with all the resources that you got rather than going all cautious about it and tweaking things around for no particular reason but um. mm. I mean it does seem a shame doesn't it having having seen the the
0: way that the team played at Wembley against Manchester City it wasn't a flawless performance and we did ride our luck a little bit they hit the bar and they had a couple of chances Czech made a, a good save or two and Bellerin made a great block etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know it's a team like Manchester City but I think the overriding feeling people came out of that game with was was one of very 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 cautious optimism because there were signs yeah. of something that actually looked like it could work and if you gave it a chance to work and to flourish give it a game give it another game get them used to each other used to the system you know Rob Holding looked great Monreal looked great at uh, wing back and then there was this this weird uh, fear this conservatism that saw him play Kieran Gibbs uh, at uh, White Hart Lane Olivier Giroud at White Hart Lane mm. you know uh, you know, I'm all for like just fucking going back to what we did against Manchester City. Um, I would have well back in from the start. I would probably
2: have Alex Iwobi back in the
0: side because at this point, like you say, why the fuck not?
2: Why the hell not? And and you know, the Man City game felt to me like it was uninhibited. So it's it's they just went for it. They tried it, and they and, and you know and that's and it that's what made it exciting is is that they didn't play within themselves in their shell, and and and. and at its most simple level, you want to go and watch a game of football. That's exciting to watch. And too many times yeah. this season, the way we play, you know, has been has been a little bit dull. Let's be honest. The Leicester game was poor. Yeah, and and um, the and the contrast couldn't have been more stark from the two games and, and then of course the Spurs game uh, was, was no better and you just want them to play with a little bit of freedom which of course confidence gives you which they which they haven't got any of and <laughs> you want them to just go for it a bit and just throw caution to the wind and the same for the manager and and it, they just seem to retreat into, into themselves a, a bit too quickly after, after something that's semi-promising. Yeah and I think he's got to take
0: the blame for that in a way because he, he had this thing that worked and then changed it. Um, w- without any real good reason I know we played some extra time at, at Wembley but you know a guy like Rob Holding didn't need he hasn't played much this season he doesn't have heavy legs he's a 21 year old no. kid he could have stayed in the team and he, you know where well, you're looking for bright sparks this season he, he was
2: one of them yeah and, and you know even Oxley Chamberlain who's He's not played every single game either, and he's only 23. So mm. you know, to think that you know, he can't play two games in in three game in three days or four days, whatever it was, is I think it's nonsense, really. So it's um, it was it was a little bit too cautious. And again, what's the reason for that? I'm not sure we'll we'll ever find out. Mm. But um, it, It's a shame because there were signs of promise there, and and they've sort of all too quickly um, evaporated. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, whatever happens on Sunday,
0: uh, if we lose, I'd rather see us lose having a go. And at least acknowledging the fact that we've got to change something rather than go out with the same guys in the same system and just hoping that would work. You know, I'd rather lose, uh, you know, just trying something.
2: Well, it depends what you mean by having lose by having a go. If it's lose like, like, like against Chelsea when we lost six nil when we were still going no, four, no, no, four I don't, nil down, then you, no. you don't want that. To happen no, no,
0: I don't no mean go. that. I just mean in terms of our approach to the game. You yeah, know, totally. the, the the way that we set up, the way that we do it, and look, we could we could lose two one in the last minute. Uh, you know, after a, an end to end game. Um, but you know, if you if you send out that team, if you send out if you send out Olivier Giroud to play up front and then don't give him any service. Uh, uh, you know he's not a he's not a guy who's going to come deep and affect the game. You know it's it just seems bizarre that we will play him like we did against uh, Tottenham and then play in a way that completely negates almost every strength that he has. Um, yeah. That that's Maybe-
2: that's the frustrating thing. It is, and maybe the pressure of them thinking they can still qualify for the Champions League is greater than the pressure they felt um, in a semi-final of a cup because it's a one-off game, and and yeah, and, you know, maybe maybe we, you know once we're finally out of the equation, you'll see it would be very typical and not surprising, psychologically probably quite normal, mm. that suddenly, suddenly a bit of the pressure's off and, and, and the um, there's nothing really to go for. So you, you, you might suddenly start playing better football when it's too late. But um, I kind of feel like they almost need to go out there as if it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, don't, don't worry about it because this season's a bit of a write-off from a league point of view. Um, we, we just need some shoots of, some green shoots to take into next season. Whoever's in charge, we, we need something to build on and let's just go for it. Let's do, you know, don't worry about whether we win or lose. Um, Massively, or whether we get to the Champions League at this stage, let's just try and get some building blocks to pick ourselves up off the off the ropes and go for it. Indeed, lovely mixed metaphors there to finish it off. Building blocks I to get us like off the mi- ropes. I do like to mix a metaphor <laughs> as well, you know.
0: I do indeed. Listen, the man from East lower thank you very much indeed. Not at all. Cheers. Thank you.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started one size fits all seemed like a good
2: idea for clothes
1: nice dress
2: Thank
0: you very much indeed to the man from East Lower. You can find him on Twitter at East Lower. That is at East Lower. And. He still blogs occasionally on eastlower.co.uk. Just when you think he's given it up completely, he will drop a fresh steaming load of blogging wisdom right there on the page for you to check out. So it is eastlower.co.uk. Right, last week I gave you the chance to win a copy of Mesut book, Gunning for Greatness, My Life, published by Hodder & Stoughton. Hodder & Stoughton? Hodder & Stoughton, Whatever it is. And I asked you, what was the club from which, or who were the club from which, What was what, who is a club a who or a what? I don't know. Anyway, from where? From which club did Real Madrid sign Mesut Ozil? And the answer, of course, was Werder Bremen. That's right. Werder Bremen. Uh, Many of you got the answer right, so thank you all for entering. But the random number generator has picked out Cesar Miramontes. Cesar Miramontes from Carson, uh, California, USA. So well done to you, Cesar. You have won the book. I will be in touch with you. I'll get all the details off you and we'll get that in the post. Now, if you want to win a a boilk mug, why not? Why wouldn't you want to win a Boilk mug, the finest mug in all of muggendom? Uh, to win it, all you have to do is just email me, competition at arseblog.com. Tell me you want the mug, and I'll pick out a winner or two, maybe two next week uh, on the ArsCast, and uh, you will receive a voucher through which you can redeem yourself an Arsblog Boilk mug. Simple as that. Just tell me you want the mug, and uh, send your email to competition at arseblog.com. Now, with me to talk a little bit about Manchester United, but some other stuff that's gone on this week in the world of football not all of it good. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Musa Okwanga. Hi Musa.
4: Hi there. Good to be back.
0: Let's talk before we talk about football about a couple of other things that have gone on this week which have not necessarily reflected particularly well on football and football fans. Arsenal played Tottenham at White Hart Lane last weekend and result aside one of the issues that came up was Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV did a video about how he had been racially abused beyond the usual crap that goes on outside wireheart lane there was a racial element to it and then we saw in uh, after the weekend soli montari uh, playing for pescara uh, he alerted the referee to the fact that he was being racially abused by caliuri fans uh, he got booked for it and has subsequently been banned for for one match and while it's uh, you know silly to think that racism uh, is a thing of the past in any way it did feel perhaps a little like football or football fans were going in the right direction and we seem to have lurched back the other way it's a bit worrying
4: yeah i think to be honest um with with things like racism i think it's best to be them as cyclical and it's probably more comforting to in that way as well i don't think you'll ever entirely eradicate people mocking that which is different um, especially not in moments of dejection or triumph. So you can obviously get people who are abused when um, things aren't going so well for their team, but also sometimes when people got the upper hand, it's a bit of fun mm-hmm. to be triumphalist for them um, and, and to sort of lord that over people. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds pretty unpleasant what's come out of these, um, these clubs the last uh, the last few days, but I don't think they're ever going to eradicate these problems entirely, unfortunately. I think it's just something that we don't necessarily have to live with, but have to expect that will be a factor uh, as time goes on it's just there's just too much history behind these these gestures I think
0: From football's point of view though are are we not seeing in some ways the fact that UEFA and the games authorities have been pretty much Uh, I'm not going to say completely weak, but they have not dealt with incidents in the past where they could have uh, been much, much firmer with clubs, particularly uh, for incidents that happen inside the ground and during games. It's obviously a little more difficult to police and uh, more difficult to legislate for outside. But, you know, uh, you're never going to stop racist people being racist, but you can stop them behaving in a racist way inside a stadium. For example, you know, if Cagliari fans are banned for uh, from inside their stadium for the next game, and the next time there's, uh, you know, proven racism inside a ground, that team is then docked points because of the behavior of their fans. UEFA have sort of, I remember Patrick Vieira being abused. That could have been a game in Spain. It might have been a game in Holland. I can't quite remember. But I remember the, the punishment for the club in question was a fine of something like, like thirty thousand pounds or euros, which to a football club is is absolutely nothing. There's no deterrent,
4: mm, right? Well, th- this is the thing. I think the good thing about Spurs, and I was outside White Hart Lane um, just a few days ago. Actually, they have a pretty brutal policy on mm. racist, homophobic, or you know, other other abuse. Um, yeah. I think sexist abuse as well. Um, so I'm hoping that whatever's captured on those cameras, uh, you know, will be dealt with pretty severely if they, if they find the perpetrators. Um, and I think. it's good for individual clubs to be stern with their own support base but you're right as well authorities have a role to play and the Montari case is a classic example of a national football authority completely weak and insipid what kind of message does it send where you say oh it's only a minority people doing the abuse Mm. Um, and then you suspend Montari himself I mean it's absurd really because you're not addressing the root of the problem exactly Um, Yeah. so I think you're right I I think you're completely right I think there has been a very lax attitude from people that would rather this problem just went away but for someone but It like, won't go away by itself.
0: No, of course it won't, but I mean, it might take people like um, Sully Montari to do what he did. You know, there were, there are those who say look, you shouldn't walk off the pitch. That's not what. That's not the way to confront it, but he's played most of his career in Italy. He had a spell at Portsmouth. Right. I think he had a yeah. loan spell at Sunderland, but he has played most of his career in Italy and would have been, I'm, I'm not going to say uh, for sure, but I would, I would suspect very strongly that this is not the first time that he's been subjected to that kind of abuse. So do do we not have to look at the actions of a man who has a, a huge understanding of football in Italy, football fans in Italy, being driven to the point where he, he has decided he's got no other option other than to, to leave the pitch?
4: Yes, and also I, th- I think even beyond that, you look at it and you say, actually, to those people who go, okay, don't walk off, well, what's your plan? What's your solution? Yeah, you know, You're so keen to say what shouldn't be done, but what's your solution? It's always the black person's per- you know, job to to think of a solution, to be creative, to come up with their own protest. No, actually, what are you doing at board level? What are you mm. doing at, at club level? I mean, to me, people that talk like that just want the problem to go away by itself or would rather this or in denial about the extent of the problem. Mm. There was a classic story. Um, it was Roberto Carlos in, in you know, Russia who went off the pitch in tears. And yeah. this is, you know, Roberto Carlos has played plenty of football, you know, what, two World Cup finals, I think. And this is a guy who is no shrinking violet. And to see a 38-year-old footballing great walk off a pitch in tears, that should tell you something is profoundly wrong. Mm. Because he's basically saying that after all the success, I'm still an animal to you people. Um, and that's that's the issue, I think. That's the real issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is going to take something more than, than the, the, the weak-willed they just pay kind of lip service to it. You know, before every Champions League game, there's that that ad that goes out, the no to racism, no al racismo, all the players from all the countries, you know. And, and, you know, look, on its its own, fine, that's a thing, you know, do it. But it's got to be backed up by, uh, I think, an iron fist when it comes to authorities and when it comes to the behaviour of
4: fans and even, uh, in cases, the behaviour of other players. Yeah, because actually it's not even the player's responsibility. It's funny because you've got, I, look, I like that. You know, I like the advert in a sense that it's visible. It talks about the issue. That's great. Mm. Ultimately, though, it's not the player's responsibility. You know, you're not going to work to be a human rights activist. You're going yeah. to work to play football. And the other conditions should be set for you. If you're, if you're a surgeon in a hospital, you don't have to fight your way to the operating theatre because someone thinks a black person, or Asian, can't operate on someone. No, you, that's been dealt with before you get to the operating table. Yeah. You know, it's not your job to convince people of your competence because of your racial origin. It's an absolute joke. Um... So, yeah, clubs should do more, and they can do more. But actually, at this point, I hate to be a total cynic in the short term. I'm not convinced that they will. Um, and, I look, and like I said, I'm glad You know, Spurs have got a multiracial squad. Um, they've got a very good, uh, very sort of strong door policy with this stuff. And I hope that whatever they capture on tape uh, gets used against perpetrators. Um, but that's an individual club, and it's not... It's not a culture, and a culture needs changing, and that's mm. the issue I think we're going to deal with here. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So no tolerance, I think, has got to be the the, the bottom line. And when we speak of cultures, and we talk about what uh, came to light this week with regards to Aaron Lennon, uh, who was right. oh, detained yeah, under the, yeah, okay. the Mental Health Act, um, it, it, I think it speaks to another side of football's culture which needs an awful lot of work, because... Uh, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to say I'm surprised in any way, but of course people like the Daily Mail link the fact that he earns a lot of money to his mental health issues, as if somehow earning a lot of money protects you from illness, whatever that might be, whether it's mental issues, whether it's cancer, of course we all know the more money you earn, the the less likely you are to suffer from those things. I mean, it's just absolutely I mean, ridiculous. What,
4: absolute, I mean, they're absolute clowns at the Mail. <clears> absolute <throat> clowns. And the worst thing is as well that because mental health is not something which is necessarily directly visible, like, you know, say a missing limb, or, or it can feel like that. It can yeah. feel, you know, as profound as a missing limb. Um, it's fair game. And it's always fair game to mock. Let's be frank. Working class um, working class men earning a lot of money, that's always been a thing for the male, um, particularly working class men of color. They must have salivated when, they, when that came up. Mm. Um, you know, Aaron Lennon. Actually, my concern for him is the fact that he was basically found, I think, by the side of a street, sort of wandering around. Like that. that speaks to the isolation the guy must have been feeling. Yeah. Um, and there's a profound point about the isolation of professional sport. You know, for all the glitz, for all the visibility of these people, they are doing high pressure work under intense scrutiny, much greater scrutiny than ever before. Because now, yeah. we can reach players via their Instagram. We can reach them via Twitter. You know, even if you're a player that's not on either the, any of those mediums you're aware that people are watching more intensely and closer than they were before. And I'm sure the demands of sponsors and everything, you know, if you're a normal person, if you're when I say normal, if you're a regular person who's not, let's say, um, exceptionally mentally strong, which actually most footballs have to be, frankly, if you just crack, if you just crack for like a day, a week, then that can push you into a spiral. And I'm, I'm pretty sure football, you know, I think football, no matter how supportive people are in that world, it's inherently a brutal sport, mentally. Mm. It's inherently brutal. And I just can only can only sympathise with people that lose their confidence. I, just, I don't know how you'd regain your self-esteem to a sufficient level in an environment that having lost it. Yeah, I mean... So, obviously, false Yeah, sorry, sorry. No,
0: That's I'm just going to say, I mean, when you're talking about being able to reach players, you make that sound like it's a, it's a positive thing, which it is in some ways. I think um, it, it has allowed uh, players to become more human to... to fans who think normally but at the same time it gives an avenue for people to to communicate with players in with a way yeah. yeah that yeah. they that they would not do in person so you know uh, for example Aaron Ramsey might post something about saving a rhino and there's people under there going break your leg again you cunt you know it's it, it's yeah. those kind of things well,
4: look at Raheem Sterling yeah? Raheem Sterling was a guy who you know he apparently handled his move to Man City with great humor but then it was revealed um, a few months later that actually he was really suffering because on social media he did a lot of abuse and he was reading it. Mm. And one thing we forget as well is that players read a lot more than than we realise. Um, and a lot of them are dishonest about it. Oh, I don't read, anything, don't read the papers. That's actually a nonsense. A lot of them will read the match reports. A lot of them will read individual columns. And that's the reason why when I write my own pieces, I'm not assuming that anyone reads them, but I'm not assuming that anyone doesn't read them. Yeah. And on the off chance that somebody you know, uh, who's a friend or a family member of someone, uh, a player might read my work. I try to be as constructive as possible in the criticism. So when they read it, they're like, you know what? That person has got a reason to critique. He's not just yeah. putting in a hatchet job. He's actually saying, well, his position can be better. He looks a bit rusty after injury, you know, something which actually you might read and be actually in the light of the day. That's a fair comment Yeah, because these are humans. And I think we I think the Aaron Lennon episode has reminded us all this week that people are deeply human, uh, mm. the players are deeply human. Sorry.
0: There was... a question about it at Arsene Wenger's press conference yesterday and he touched on this um, he said that the pressure that players are under is very big, the family, the agents he says it's not easy to deal with that when you're at a young age, maybe not easy to deal with that mm. when you're an experienced player um, and he was asked as well do clubs have the necessary resources to help players and I think this is this speaks to the culture that's within football uh, and maybe in general when it comes to mental health issues, particularly with men I think, he said um, yeah we have, we can help Players, but sometimes the players don't want to show that they need help. It could be interpreted as a weakness inside the club of course and, and that of is course. a huge factor isn't it that you know if you there's a stigma already that exists with mental health and if you're in the macho world of professional sports where you've got to be strong you've got to front up you've got to take it like a man all those kind of things to ask for help from your football club I think that's something that football that football clubs have to deal with because I'm quite sure that there exists people within football and within football clubs who would if they saw a player come to them with a mental health issue who sat down and said, boss, you know, I've got problems, they would say, okay, well, yeah, I'm not picking that guy.
4: Well, look, I mean, look at the classic story of those managers who would ignore you when you were injured. They would blank you on the training ground. You, mm. weren- you, basically, you effectively felt unwelcome to the ground. That's just an, that's, that's a physical injury, let alone a, sort of a mental illness, a mental injury in a sense. So I think actually, funny enough, and I don't want to sort of lump the, this on the PFA, but I think it's an opportunity for the PFA to really say, listen... We can't expect um, we can't expect players to go to their clubs primarily and say, "Look, where's the support for me within the club?" Not because clubs don't necessarily care, but there's almost a, it sounds awful to say. Maybe there's a slight competitive interest there. Mm. Let's say you're a Champions League quarterfinal. Um, you've got a big match coming up, and someone goes, "Look, I'm I've got depression," and you're thinking, "Well, that's the same as an Achilles tendon injury." And you don't pick that player. Uh, this is a ruthless, you know, because you're thinking, my job's riding on it as a manager or as a coach. Mm. Can I rely on this person to execute under pressure? You know, can I put this person forth in a penalty shootout? Do you yeah. what I mean? If someone comes yeah. to you and says, I've got a problem with mental strength in a sport that is directly reliant upon mental strength, even more so than your first touch on some occasions, you know, then what are you to do? Whereas, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's acceptable, I'm saying that there's a conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. in that. So I think that actually, fun enough, this is a chance for the PFA to come in, and I'm sure they did this already, but maybe just to redouble the efforts. The start of each season, the middle of each season, they said, listen, we're just providing a mental outlet. This is in confidence. You can come to us a bit like a sort of Catholic confession, I guess. You know, yeah. this doesn't have to go to the club directly. And maybe the PFA can like contact the Register of AIDS and say, "Listen, if your player is struggling, we're your direct recourse." Yeah, because I don't think, in a way, did mean I almost feel like this is at odds with. What clubs are trying to achieve with the players, Sure, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse it, but I'm no, trying, to, no. trying to sort of open an avenue for players, maybe. So.
0: Ab- absolutely. And I think it's one of those areas where the more we talk about it, the better it is. And I'm not saying that footballers are uh, have any responsibility in this regard. But I think when people can see uh, a footballer, perhaps a hero to them, who can speak candidly and speak openly about the problems that they're suffering or have endured in the past? It will certainly help the wider society to help uh, address these kind of issues. I think it's been very interesting this week. The amount of players who have come out uh, in the wake of the Aaron Lennon story to tell similar kind of stories—not necessarily that they're in such a, a bad position as in he was in that he was in, but that they during their career have uh, endured these kind of problems and felt the same kind of helplessness because they don't really have any way to talk to anyone about them because of the culture that they exist in?
4: It's far more common, I think, than any of us imagine in football. It of must course. Be more common. Well, look, like, think, you think know, about your being friends. Yeah, off the run of good form,
0: you yeah think about form, how many friends you you might have that you know for a fact have had uh, mental health issues, you know, ranging from mild to severe. I know that there are people in my life who who certainly have and you you apply that Absolutely, that, that yes, number yes. to football, it's got to be pretty
4: common. And then and that's on top of on top of that the additional pressures of the job. Mm. Um, you know, the scrutiny uh, you know, if you're relegation, um, you know, if you're the kind of player that's sort of very empathetic with those around you and you're going through relegation of thinking, well, you know, if we get relegated, the staff are, a lot of these staff are going to get laid off. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of that as well. There's, there's the, you know, or, or come to the end of your career and you've got to feed, you know, you've got to feed three mouths and you've got a mortgage, you know, you're 34 and you're earning, what, like 40 grand a year on the lower divisions. You know, this this is unbelievable pressure. Um so you know I think it's good that we're talking about it and I think that now we've got the conversation place mm. let's look at some discussions and support um absolutely yeah
0: well look hopefully people who have seen the story who maybe weren't going to uh, talk to anyone will feel like they can and they should talk to people and uh you know I'm not here to give anybody advice but certainly uh, the more people talk about it the better it'll be for for everybody um Right, well, let's let's touch a little bit on the football. Arsenal against Manchester United, uh, Arsene Wenger against Jose Mourinho. Uh, do, do you believe Jose Mourinho when he says he might rest players for this game?
4: When I heard you say Wenger versus Mourinho, my first thought was, this is all very 2004, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, or 2005. And I kind of think, well, it sounds so hackneyed, these kind of Jibes, they just sound tired, really. I mean, why would you even say that? Why would you even say that? What's kind of what's you know, what, what's let, what? Let's sort of unpick what the kind of motive could possibly be. You're trying to wind Wenger up. Why? You're barely ahead of him in the league. Mm. Uh, your team is not scoring many goals. You've scored what 51 league goals. You conceded 25. So you're not you're shoring up the back, you're not attacking well. So, what's the purpose of that? To get us talking about the Wenger Mourinho grudge, but everyone's bored because. Yeah. It's not even the pivotal grudge, with all respect to both managers, in English football. It's not even the third most pivotal grudge. In fact, it's not even the most pivotal rivalry. It's not even a you know, it's it's not even a thing. Let's just concentrate on playing playing some decent football, qualifying automatically for Champions League, and. This this kind of talk just feels so redundant. Mm. If that makes sense. Sure. I mean, but no one's really doing. It. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to get. That. No. that's no. How I felt
0: about. It. Yeah. yeah. No. That's fine. And um, you touched on United as a as an attacking force. Certainly, they're on an an unbeaten run now um, that stretches back. Is it 24 25 games at this point? So twenty five games. Yeah. Twenty five yeah. games, which is which is impressive by any standards. That's an impressive run of form uh, for any team and and for any manager. But I guess. Talking to United uh, fans, United friends, and reading what's uh, going on social media, etc., etc., from the United fans that I follow, there are concerns about the way that United are playing, about the way that they attack. Um, Clearly, the, the injury to Ibrahimovic is... Uh, a blow for him, but perhaps an opportunity for United to to move in a different direction when it comes to their football. Do you feel like he's willing to to put his faith in these players, in in Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, you know, really young, exciting attacking talents who who, by their very nature, mean you have to play in a slightly different way.
4: Well, yeah, I think he's he's showing faith that he he's. I have to say, he feels as like if he's been slightly erratic this year because he's been brutal to Martial earlier in the year and then he's sort of put his arm around him and then he's been brutal again and he's put his arm around him again. And um, maybe Martial's got problems off the field that we don't know the full extent of. But it just seems a bit odd to have that so public. Um, and the, the same with Mkhitaryan. You know, the, the sort of hanging players out to dry is not mm-hmm. only a bit undignified, it feels counterproductive. Uh, a lot of United fans will tell you they felt that a couple of months were wasted integrating Mkhitaryan into the team he's not been at his best Um, he was far better at Dortmund in his final year before he came over and he's a player that needs certain handling but it just feels like he's been substandard and that that some of his responsibility is also Mourinho's Um, and he doesn't really transmit much trust to his players you get the feeling that he's someone who at the first resort will blame others rather than I suppose you know say actually well we can try this differently next match and just really move forward. Mm. Um, And he he seems to put certain players on the spot, particularly young players like Luke Shaw. And I just wonder how how productive that is, frankly, um, Uh, for anyone.
0: Yeah, it's got to be difficult, doesn't it, when your manager is doubting you, like we talked about with injury there. You know, he came off in the last game, Luke Shaw, and Jose Mourinho is saying, well, it better be a big injury. It's not a big injury. You know, it's that kind of thing. I think you're questioning the character of of a player um, as if somehow he's he's faking it, and I've heard Roy Keane talk before about how being accused of faking an injury is about the worst thing that you can that you can um, do to a player. So you, you you've got to wonder how it is uh, he wants to build that squad. Maybe he just really wants to weed out people who can't deal with that kind of treatment from him.
4: Maybe I also think with Mourinho, for so long we've looked at these kind of jibes as a manifestation of his genius. But ultimately, you're there to win football matches. And maybe Mourinho was a genius because he won football matches and all the rest was just Mourinho being emotionally mm. wasteful and and unpleasant yeah. and mean-spirited. Maybe it was just that. Maybe he <laughs> could just carry on. Because, look, Conte doesn't do that and Conte is winning. And Mourinho, I'm pretty sure Mourinho would still be winning playing the style that he became famed for and Mm. wouldn't need to to talk all this as he does. So I'm just a bit confused by it, to be honest.
5: Mm.
0: I think you're probably right there that it's just Mourinho being Mourinho and there is a very unpleasant streak to his character, which sometimes can be manifested in competitiveness and um, what would you call mind games, but other times it just comes across as unpleasantness. Um, I think that's just it, yeah. yeah. that's it, yeah. Can I ask you before we go... um, I know you're looking at it from the outside, but your your take on what's going on at Arsenal and your take in particular about what's going on with, with Arsene Wenger and that, that whole situation over which there's so little clarity and, and which is really frustrating Arsenal fans at this moment in time.
4: I have a lot of sympathy um, with Arsenal and strangely with Arsene Wenger. Here is a man who came to Arsenal as a relative unknown, Uh, and he created the club in many ways in his own image. And, you know, it's become almost synonymous with his personality. I just slightly wonder if he's afraid to leave leave Arsenal and to leave football because, frankly, is he going to get a job this high profile again, with this kind of buzz again? I'm not sure at this point in his career, not because he's not good enough, but because people might feel actually it's time for someone else, time for something new. And to walk away from the Arsenal job, I'm not sure he can actually do it. I'm just this strange stalemate of, I've got this wonderful job, I've built this club, up. I've created this revolutionary football culture, which he has. Like, we owe a debt, so many of us, to Wenger in the Premier League. The style of football we're seeing Spurs play, the style of football playing, you know, um, of, um, City play to an extent. A lot of that has come from the footballing tradition that Wenger brought to English football. And the frustration I have, you know, I think I share sort of with Arsenal fans is, you know, when you saw losing to Bayern over two legs like that, being brutalised, you just think this club is actually going backwards. And Wenger's great strength was always making young players better or improving players. Mm. And now you've got players like Chaka, These are good footballers, and they're getting worse. Yeah. And that's not that's not who Wenger. You know, I'm a, I, here's the most interesting thing for me. I'd be intrigued to see how Wenger, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, would have looked at Wenger now. And what he would have thought, and what weaknesses he would have seen, he might have been like, "Ah, oh, that guy's not quite cutting it anymore." That guy, you know, it'd be interesting to see how a young Wenger would evaluate an older one. Yeah, because I think actually the verdict would be, I think quietly, quietly damning. if that's fair?
0: Yeah, I think that I don't think that's unfair at all. Uh, certainly, what what the advantages that he had as a manager, the things that he was really good at identifying talent. Nurturing that talent, developing the talent, and then uh, putting the pieces together into a team that played a very distinct style of football. The style of football is worse, and I think what's happened over the years, um, slowly but surely, is the advantages Wenger had as a manager, which enabled him to make good teams, sometimes out of very bad parts have now gone or have dissipated to the point where he he can't replicate it anymore
4: that's completely right he's been caught up by various things i think he's been caught up by in one sense he's, he's been caught up by the finances that's one thing but let's see more broadly it's the coaching the tactical systems the tactical systems and marino is probably struggling with this as well are so advanced at the very top level of the premier league when i say the very top level i am you know i'm talking about the attacking systems of mm. man city Chelsea and Tottenham, those three clubs, and actually, sorry, Liverpool as well, they are actually in a kind of bracket by themselves. They really, really are. The way they, exploit, the way they find great exploits in the final thirds, you know, it's are on a different level, unfortunately, when mm-hmm. they're all fully fit. And I think Vang Marino have been slightly left behind to an extent by that. Because they're if you look at both both teams, they're relying more on individual brilliance than... Do you mean the yeah. systemic deconstruction of teams? Sure. So if you look at the way that, for example, goals are spread throughout you know, the top sides, yeah. there's a greater um, variety of goals. Like goals are coming, look at Chelsea, goals are coming from Matic, from Willian, you know, from Kante as well uh, now more and more. So there's a spread. And I just, I just feel like the Arsenal attacking system is not, unfortunately, a thrilling force it once was. And also, let's be brutally honest, scouting is a problem too. Because in the old days, he had first dibs on a player like Thierry Henry. Yeah. But now, you know, you've got a guy like Mbappe and everyone else is after him. In the old days, Wenger would go off to Juventus and see this, you know, skinny French dude playing left wing back and be like, okay, that's the guy. Yeah that's the center of my town. And now, like I say, that guy's in back now and you can't lay your fingers on him.
0: Yeah, I think the most telling thing was, uh, Wenger said this week that when Mbappe was out of contract last season with Monaco as a 17-year-old, he went to meet with the player, was at his home, was trying to convince him to come to Arsenal. I think 10 years ago, he would have had a very good chance of bringing that player in. And now I think players are are saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see and bide my time. So um, I think that's, that's a telling part of the that's deconstruction him, uh, of Arsene Wenger.
4: And people mock Wenger. People mock Wenger. People mock Wenger for saying, oh, you know, I could have signed that player. Well, he, what, he's, what Wenger's basically saying is, I was at the races. Yeah. I was in conversation with this person. I Wenger's not lying. Why lie not lie about that. Like, he's not, you know, but it's, it must be so frustrating for them to say no, no, no. And it must be, because in Wenger's head, there's a major list of players that he would have signed. Mm. and that he would be playing with, but he just can't get them. I think that frustration is on that fans feel, but he most of all is in a situation now where he's thinking, I've got to make this right. I can't end, my legacy can't be this. I can't be the kind of the failed professor. You know, it's like when Steve Martin, Steve Martin basically had Hollywood for years in the 80s, and then all of a sudden, couldn't do a funny comedy or a good comedy that he's happy with or people are happy with. Yeah. And I think Venga now is the Steve Martin phase. I respect it. He's trying with all his might to pull it back, but I'm just not. I'm not convinced he can. Unfortunately.
0: No, I not I think there comes a point in your life where, regardless of how hard you try, the. The issues go beyond that, and certainly at 67 years of age, it becomes increasingly difficult to get on top of of things which probably require new, newer men or younger men to to take care of. So, um, anyway, look.
4: Do you know? Can I can go I on? One, one thing I'll say. Sorry, before yeah. I go, this is never ever going to happen. So you can write it off immediately. Because what <laughs> should happen in the ideal world? Lupin and Claudia Ryan just need to turn up in, like, an SUV or, like, a limousine and just take the guy out and be like, send let's get a bottle of red wine and just, like, there is life on the other side and it's actually okay. So that sounds awful, but he actually needs an intervention of that level of, like, I know we all hated each other, you know, <laughs> back in the day, but, do mm. you know, we've done an amazing job. And I think it's just time to, like, find a way to ever away from it because it's, you've done your time on, you know, you've, you've served your time and it's fine, but it's... This is not for you anymore.
0: I think that's a, a fair thing to say, uh, Musa. As ever, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much.
4: Thanks, absolute pleasure. And yeah, I made the best team win on Sunday.
0: We'll see. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you very much indeed to Musa. You can find him on Twitter at Okwanga. That is at Okwanga, and we will talk to him in the future no doubt. Just before we look ahead very very quickly to the game against Manchester United James and I will be doing a live Arsecast Extra from the bar in Union Chapel on Thursday the 25th of May. Thursday the 25th of May, the bar in Union Chapel. Doors open at 6pm. We'll start the show around 7pm. The usual Arsecast Extra format. Uh, We'll do a bit uh, with ourselves and and guests in the first part. Then we'll do some Q&A with the audience. Uh, There's a bar there, the bar is open till late so we can all hang around afterwards and have a couple of beers and some chats and, uh, you know, just have a a generally nice relaxing time to take our minds off the uh, terror that is going to be Saturday when we play the FA Cup final against a very, very good Chelsea side. But look, come join us and you'll find details of how to get tickets on the website. Um, Depending on what time you're listening to this, it's already on the website, but if you're listening to it very early in the morning, it probably won't be, uh, but it should be there from around mid-morning on Friday there'll be details of how to get the tickets they're £15 it goes some way to help support the podcast as well and we'll be there all evening Uh, it'll be good to hang out and just have some chats about Arsenal and FA Cups and whatever else might crop up on the evening Uh, tickets are fairly limited I think there's only 140 because it's a small venue it's not all seated so there's a bit of a a bit of mix of seating and standing Uh, so it depends who gets there first and pulls up the tables etc etc but it is a really nice room we did the first ever live Arscast Extra there and it's just a nice atmosphere so uh, please feel free to come and join us on the night Thursday May 25th live Arscast Extra myself and James and guests as yet unconfirmed guests I have to tell you but we will give you details of those as and when we have them right a game this weekend against Manchester United Uh, team news uh, Mustafi is back in the squad Granite Shaka is a doubt Lucas Perez was back in training but got injured in training so he's out and apart from that it's pretty much everyone who was available for the last few games what kind of team is he going to pick i don't know what formation is he going to pick i don't know are the players going to turn up on the day i really really don't fucking know i wish i knew i wish i had some idea of what we were going to get but you know it's it's just a bit like that at the moment nobody has any idea i think i could take uh, i could take a win i think we all could obviously but i think it's also down to the fact my expectations are really quite low that uh, whatever else this season throws up wouldn't be a surprise to me. So if it was to throw up something nicely surprising in that Arsene Wenger beats a Jose Mourinho side in the Premier League for the first time, I, I think that could be it. I think I'd just take that for the rest of the season and then hope we, uh, hope we do what we need to do in the FA Cup final. But um, look, we'll see. I know it doesn't really work like that. Uh, it's a Sunday kickoff. It's, uh, I think it's 4 o'clock kickoff. Again, this is me doing dreadfully with my preparation. Fixtures and results. Yeah, 4 o'clock kickoff against Manchester United at the Emirates. It'll probably be a nice day. Sun shining. I know we've done it against them before there. So let's hope we can do it again. Um, Apart from that. I don't know what else to tell you other than thank you very much indeed for listening. Thanks for being here. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday. We'll be looking back to what happens in the Manchester United game and everything else in the RS cast extra on Monday. So until then have yourselves a great weekend. Let's hope your great weekend continues after 6 PM on Sunday evening as well. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one until then. Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: I was sitting there, watching the news and browsing Amazon to see if they sold underground bunkers. Before I even remembered, I lived in a fourth floor apartment the guy walked in. What do you want, mister? I said. Look, he said. I hear you're a man who knows people. You know how to get things done. What kind of things? I said. And why do you want them done? Look, he said. It's a long story. I got a favorite bar. Don't we all? I said. Yeah, he said, we do, and I love my bar. I've been going there since I was a kid. Kid, I said. Yeah, he said, they were very liberal about who they let in. So what's the problem, I said. Well, he said, it got taken over. New owners, new guy doesn't care about the bar. The bar is going to shit, and I can't sit by and watch it happen, he said. So I need you to help me find someone to do something about him. Look, mister, I said, why don't you Just go to a different bar. He sighed. I can't do that, mister. This is my bar.